Steven, can I tell you one thing that everyone gets wrong when it comes to giving to charitable organizations? Please. If you have a taxable investment account, so you've invested in some stocks or some bonds and it's in a taxable account, that means it's not in your 401k. And you've owned any of those stocks and bonds for more than a year. You should never, ever write a check to a charitable organization. Whoa. Okay. Well, what should you do? I think most people who invest something, they they write a check. What should they do? Let's imagine that a couple years ago, you bought $500 worth of Apple stock. And today, you have $1,000 worth of Apple stock. So it's grown in value by 500 bucks. And you have a charitable organization that you would like to support by giving them $1,000. So you've got $1,000 in your pocket and you're ready to write a check and hand it to them for $1,000 because you're I'm a listening. generous guy. Instead of doing that, if you would just give them the $1,000 worth of Apple stock that you have bought a few years ago, now what you're doing is you're getting the exact same tax deduction that you would have gotten had you just written them a check. The IRS is going to give you a $1,000 tax deduction. Because they're a charitable organization. But now, instead of having a... capital gain in your Apple stock. So someday you're going to need to sell that stock and do something else with that money. And you're going to owe taxes on- And the government going to take a bite. That's right. So instead of that, we just gave that whole $1,000 stock. We got the same tax benefit that we would have got if we had written a check. And now we take our $1,000 that we were planning to hand to the charity and if, if we want to own that Apple stock, we just buy it back right now. And now we have a $1,000 worth of Apple stock that has no baked in capital gain. So if we did have to sell it tomorrow and the price was the same, we don't owe any taxes on that. So we basically erased $500 worth of capital gains. We got the same tax deduction that we would have gotten if we had given cash. And because that charitable organization is a 501c3, then they can sell the stock and they don't owe any taxes on it. So everybody wins. We didn't give cash to charity and we're never going to give cash to charities again because that's not how we roll now that we've been listening to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Fantastic. We did the old switcheroo. I switched my capital gains tax that I would have had to pay. I gave away this growing asset to the charitable organization. I still get the tax deduction. I get a new asset, my new Apple stock, that doesn't have any gains attached to it. That's so right. great. Well, everyone, you are getting the feeling that uh, Mark is about to give you some wonderful tactics for handling giving, just charitable giving in general. We recently did an episode that said that you need to be giving if you want to be a biblical boss in the way that you handle money. You need to be an expert giver. And part of being an expert is knowing how to give smartly. So we're gonna be giving you several tips on how to do that on this episode of Abraham's Wallet. Hi, I'm Steve. For nearly 30 years, I've been a pastor and disciple maker, and what I really love doing is helping guys be better followers of Christ and better leaders at home. I'm Mark, a certified financial planner with an MBA and an Ivy League degree who wants to make sure you're making the smartest money decisions possible. And this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home, your dough, like a biblical boss. I love that first tip. Uh, What else have you got to tell us about how to give shrewdly with uh, the landscape that we're in right now of technical decisions to be made? Well, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe last week, actually, uh, in the people's experience of our podcast, we talked (laughs) about the, the importance of generosity, of giving, of first fruits, uh, and how that factors into the life of a Christ follower. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's important before we even dig into some of the tactics that we're going to talk through today to just reiterate 
that we don't ever want your giving to be dictated by the tax code. Um, and I, I, as much as that sounds straightforward and obvious, it's pretty easy to, you, you sit down with your CPA at the year end and they go, well, have you done any giving this year? And, oh, if you had, we would have saved all this money. And you think, well, I'm just going to give now to 501c3 charitable organizations. And um, I don't think that that is how we're called to behave is to say, U.S. government, you get to determine where I might consider to distribute the king's resources that he has put under my control. Good point. Um, and so I just think it's important to, the, as we start talking about this stuff, um, please do not allow the tax code to determine where it is that you're going to consider giving. And that means if the Lord is moving you to be generous to an individual, if you're sitting in the back of an Uber and your driver tells you about a need and you hear the Holy Spirit say, meet that need, buddy. Um, I would just encourage obedience above everything else. That's uh, great. I don't mind if you if you make some mistakes on optimizing the tax efficiency of your giving, if you're being obedient and doing your best to be obedient to the king. So uh, wanted to get that out of the way. That's good. Uh, before we even dig into tactics. Yeah. So, so you're, you, we, we went through a whole list of things that we should be giving to in the previous episode. And while you're going to be telling us that there are ways to to maximize laws that exist and there's structures that can maximize your giving, that the laws themselves shouldn't be dictating what you do, we should actually go back to that previous episode and consider things like, what's my spiritual community? Who's my family? What are the things on God's heart? And if there's room there to make the most of some opportunities, great. But I love what you're saying, which is let's let God dictate where we give and let's just be shrewd in the way that we do it. Yeah. So this week we were sitting around and it's it's the month in which Sukkot starts. And you know that we enjoy building a sukkah and participating in the holiday of Sukkot. Yes. And I was reading Deuteronomy 14 to my kids and telling them, I don't know why, but I've never done this in the past. Uh, the tithe that is described there. There is a whole tithe, and I know you talked about this, that is the requirement is that it be spent on rich foods, yes. sheep, oxen, and strong alcoholic strong beverage. <laughs> That's true. Uh, depending on the translation, it, it, it they're not talking about coffee. They're talking no, about they're not. They're not. Uh, moonshine, if you will. <laughs> Corn uh, mash. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and I told the kids, I said, we are going to take a family trip to Costco. I stole this from Jeremy Pryor. But anything you see that is food, I said, no big screen TVs, but <laughs> yeah. anything you see that delights your eyes, you will be allowed to put it in the wow, car. Wow, that is so fun. And so the question arises, that that's one place where we actually feel like that's uh, that's a part of the biblical tithing that is described as money given to the family for the purpose of spiritual instruction it's true. and teaching. It's there. That's one example of, of some giving activity. Um, it's, it's a little bit unique. But another one is there's a woman in our community who got very sick and did not have adequate insurance to cover some care she needed. And uh, we said, well, we have money and other people in our community had money and we can collectively meet this need. Um, so those are two places where I saw a need and in neither case was there uh, tax benefits for me. Um, and so in the one case, Sukkot celebration as a family, I'm just going to say there will be no tax benefits for the parrots as we do this Costco extravaganza. Sure. Any, anything I could come up with to make that more tax efficient, my guess is it would be outright tax fraud and uh, not worth <laughs> We don't recommend that. Right. However, in the other case, uh, the first kind of tip I have is, again, don't let your giving be dictated by the tax code, but do <laughs> exploit the tax code where it allows you to do so. That's right. So instead of just writing this lady a check to cover her medical expenses, 
we were able to get in touch with her local church and elders at that church said, well, we would love to, to cover this. Would you guys, uh, the friends of this, this person, would you like to just give us the money? We will write you a, a receipt for a tax deductible gift to our church. And one of the things our church is in the business of doing as a church is benevolence. And we will pass all of that money straight along to the intended recipient. Um, to me, that felt like a great deal. Let's give the same amount we were going to give anyways. There's yes. no penalty. And now we get a big tax break for doing so. Yeah. Um, so that's my first tip is that when there is opportunity to give in a way that takes advantage of the government's sort of willingness to give you breaks on on some types of giving, then do it. <laughs> yeah. Take advantage of that. And you can even be creative. Again, I'm not in any way encouraging you to say, well, let's start running our grocery budget through the local church. Um, but when when there's legitimate giving to be done and maybe there's an organization that would be willing to partner with you and say, well, we normally distribute money across a variety of people, but here's a need that sounds like it kind of fits our vision. Yeah, we would we would be willing to kind of serve as a clearinghouse for that gift. Um, that can be very beneficial to folks who are making larger uh, gifts uh, that might not normally be tax deductible. Yep. Great. Okay. So we've talked about giving appreciated assets. We've talked about uh, using the tax code where you can. Um, what about if you want to do the appreciated assets thing and you... Um, are talking to a tiny little charitable organization that maybe they go, well, we don't even have a clue how we would accept uh, shares of Apple stock to go back to the example. Yeah. Um, there is a way to deal with that. Way number one is you can just tell them, do you know it takes about 10 minutes to set up a brokerage account? And then all you have to do is provide me the account number and I can transfer whatever I want into your account. Um, you've done this, Steve. You, you did this for Abraham's wallet. You set up a brokerage account uh, yes, sir. and accepted gifts of appreciated assets from ver a variety of people. Yeah. I mean, there might be people out there, Mark, and they're, they're crying because they have appreciated assets and they're like, what am I supposed to do with this? How can I give this to any sort of organization? They, nobody knows how to accept them. And then I would say, we know how to accept them. And we, we, out of the goodness of our hearts, we could accept those appreciated assets to help you with your charitable giving. We have the ability to do that. Yeah. And I know that this, this might be the shocking revel. You might even want to cut this and put it at the beginning of the episode. It's as like too crazy. The teaser. But uh, I, most people probably, they hear the production quality. They see the video. They even see the the way that we dress and the fact that we've, we've clearly been professionally styled. And they think, I bet that's a humongous organization that's behind yeah. Steve and Mark. Right, the, right. The truth of the matter is, Abraham's what? Wallet, in the realm of 501c3 organizations, we're not very big. Oh, so, um, that is a, that's a shocker. I just say that to say, if you have an organization that you want to use this strategy with, and they think that's really complicated to get to a point where we could accept stock, it it honestly takes 15 minutes of getting on Fidelity or, or Schwab or any site that you can open a brokerage account, popping it open and providing the account numbers to somebody who wants to give. Yeah, um, that's right. So that's option one. But I've been there where an organization still says, yeah, we're, we're not doing that. We, we don't know that world. We're not going to do it. Uh, and this is where you can use something called a donor-advised fund. Mm. So a donor-advised fund is a, um, it's a investment account that you can put money into. And you can put the money in today. You can invest it once it's in that account, just like you would invest in any uh, brokerage account. Um, and it can so it, grow. It's, it's opened when you open it, it is a special kind of account and it's called a donor advised fund. That's right. From the so, beginning. Okay. The one I personally use is at Fidelity. It's called Fidelity Charitable. Schwab has a donor advised fund. 
Uh, there's quite a few out there. The the things to keep in mind, well, before we get there, what what you might do with a donor advised fund is you can put money in. Let's say that you want to give $5,000 for tax reasons this year, and you're not quite sure where you want it to go yet. Well, you could put in $5,000 this year, and it could sit in your donor advised fund in cash, or you could invest it in whatever you wanted to and let it grow or shrink uh, over time. But you're getting the tax benefit of that charitable gift when you put the money in. And you might put in $5,000 today and you invest in the greatest stock idea you've ever had and it's $150,000 in two years. Well, you get to sell the donor advised fund. Here's where I want you to send checks whenever you want to. And as long as it's a a charitable organization, 501c3 or church, um, they will send those checks out. And it could be in as small or as large of amount as you want up to whatever you have in that account. The kicker is you get the tax break when you put the money in. So you're not getting a tax benefit of $150,000. You're getting a tax benefit of the initial $5,000 you put in. Um, Okay. There's a few ways to use these. One is you just, like I said, you want to do appreciated asset giving and you want to send out um, money to organizations that don't have the desire or the capacity to take gifts of stock. Well, you can just gift that stock into a donor advised fund and then tell your donor advised fund, here is the organization I want you to send a check to. Um, That's one option. Another option and a way that I see people using these things is they use something called a bunching strategy, which we've talked about bunching. We Um, have. It's something that I feel like we should do our bunching episodes like in Houston in July when we're there in the summertime, because there's a lot of bunching that happens in a, in a humid environment in midsummer. Bunching in your underwear. That's, that's the joke I'm making right now. Okay. um, Yeah. I, when it comes to bunching and charitable giving, the idea is most people, the the standard deduction that you get on your taxes is large. Um, and back in the olden days, you didn't get that big of a standard deduction. So a lot more people itemized their taxes. But today, the standard deduction for a couple um, is $27,700. So a lot of families, they might be way under that. They might when they combine the things that you get to deduct, like your real estate taxes and your charitable giving, maybe they come out to $10,000 for a year. For those people, bunching is not for you. You should just take the standard deduction. There's other people who are making tons of money. They're very generous. Whatever reason, their itemized deduction is $50,000 a year. Yeah, Those people also should not consider bunching. But I said the standard deduction is 27700 right now. Um, what if your itemized deductions total up to $30,000? Mm. Well, in that case, you're just barely getting a bigger benefit from itemizing your deductions than you get from um, the standard deduction. Standard. So instead of that, you might consider, can I bunch my itemized deductions that normally would happen over two years into one. And here's how you might do that. Let's say that you live in Texas. Texas allows you to pay real estate taxes for two years inside of one calendar year. You can pay, let's say next year, you can pay your 2024 real estate taxes in January of 2024, and it won't be late. And you can pay your 2025 real estate taxes in December of 2024. Now you've paid two years in one year and you can deduct both of those in that year. Wow. Then you might say, well, I want to just do all my charitable giving for a two-year period in one chunk. Um, and so maybe you stopped your regular monthly, let's let's just assume for simplicity, you were giving to your local church every month. You might have stopped that and said, I'm going to accumulate and then I'm going to give in one chunk all at the same time. You can do that by just giving a gift in, in one year for, say, this is two years worth of my giving. Or if it's still something you want to see distributed monthly, you could make that gift to a donor-advised fund. And you could do that either in cash or in appreciated assets. But again, 
if you have taxable investments, you're probably never going to give cash again. So I'm assuming it's <laughs> right, right, sure. Um, and now we've done all of our giving and all of our real estate tax for two years in one year. And if my my uh, previous itemized deduction was thirty thousand, maybe I was able to bunch and get that up to fifty five thousand in that year. So this year I'm taking fifty five thousand. Next year I'm taking the standard, standard. deduction, roughly thirty thousand dollars. So I'm at eighty five thousand dollars of deduction for two years versus if I did my thirty and thirty. I'm at 60. So I've deducted an extra $25,000, which ends up being a substantial amount of tax that I did not pay. So that's another use for the donor advised fund, which is I want to get the tax benefit for some giving now, even though I might want to distribute that money later. Completely legal. It's just a smart way to do it. Yeah. You you could have just said, Hey, Mark, do you want to do you really want to share this? Because I don't know. Is this is this legal? <laughs> I'm share this? Uh, well, because it sounds like now. Hold on. How am I getting eighty five thousand dollars worth of uh, deductions when I'm only giving sixty thousand dollars? But th- it's just it's just one of the mechanics of the tax code, which right. you should always exploit the tax code. Just do the very best you can to pay the minimum amount of taxes and get the full benefits of everything that you're doing, whether it's, well, deducting your gas for your small business or whatever, you know, your travel, you take a, you take a networking person out to lunch and you deduct it. You should always do everything in your power to get that tax dollar as low as you can. It's part of oversight to simply know where all my dollars are going and I want as few of them to leave me as possible. It's part of that responsibility. So it's, that's a great, that's a great strategy. I think it really jives with the way that our family has come to think about our generosity dollars, which is we don't do a whole lot of recurring monthly deduction type giving where money just regularly hits. I, I think we sponsor a few children uh, through the kind of compassion style programs. But other than that, we really don't do a ton of autopilot giving. And so what we have come to do is accumulate a generosity fund so that each month in my budgeting process, there's money that sort of builds up into that account. And I can look at it. It's separate. You just do that as a portion of income as the year goes. That's right. And when income is more than we planned on, then we cut right off of that and give, give additionally when there's kind of clear instructions from the Lord that we feel called to give more that then we would just add from the pool into the generosity fund. And I can see it growing. And that does a few things um, in general. I think it trains us to be on the hunt for distribution opportunities. And I know you've talked about this, Stephen, that you like to give away cash and you have some cash that's just earmarked for giving. And Having that in your pocket, it puts your antennas up for giving, right? You just go, well, I have to give this away. It's not an option for me to spend this on a new pair of sneakers. Yep. So it's it's just, I'm looking for those chances. I feel like the, the generosity fund that we accumulate over time is the same way. I don't yes. feel that I have, A, I don't feel like I have to give it to a charitable organization. If there's something else that... that uh, we see that that needs giving that's not a charitable organization, no problem. We've got that fund. But B, it also just trains us to build up resources that are kind of the family's generosity pot. And that, to me, is how we like to think about um, donor-advised funds for families that are kind of in the last stage of how they might use these. So remember, step one is just this is a clearinghouse for me to give appreciated assets to smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. Step two, maybe I actually want to make a bigger gift and have that distributed out over time. Now I'm I'm stewarding a little pool of, of wealth that is earmarked for giving. And when I make investment decisions there, I have to decide, do I want to take a lot of risk and try to grow this? or But it might shrink. And how would I feel? Do I want to keep it in cash? So there's decisions to be made there. But then there's also families that we work with who use a donor advised fund to be a multi-generational 
resource for the family. And I think it's a training tool and it's, it's kind of a low uh, barrier to entry way for families to start thinking about a portion of their wealth, at least as a multi-generational asset that's going to be stewarded and distributed by not just me and my wife, but we want this fund maybe to have a million dollars in it by the time our kids are adults our age. And we want them to think about how are we going to grow it and how are we going to wisely distribute it? And also be open to the possibility that uh, the Lord could say, hey, I've been building it up uh, for this day and uh, it's time to clean it out. Um, so that's kind of the last way we see people using donor advised funds is they accumulate larger piles of wealth over time. And it becomes an asset that unlike most account types, where if you try to pass it down more than one generation, you're going to get nailed with something called a generation skipping tax the donor advised fund can be continually kind of stewarded by really a long line of people. Uh, and it makes a pretty cool, you know, gen- macro version of the generosity fund that I'm describing that we do at just a small level on our monthly budget. Um, it can become something that's super powerful. So uh, that's, that's the last way that I see a donor advised fund being used. Uh, so I don't know any of those interesting to you as you think? Yeah. About? Yeah. So I'm hearing that it can basically be used as a, a, a legacy container and you can think of it as the, you know, I always think of the, the Bill Gates foundation, which funds a whole bunch of stuff that he believes in. Okay. Well, I think of the, the Steve Manuel foundation, and I want, I want there to be a family vision. And I want that, as we've talked about many times, I want that, my money to go out into the world and find things that are in line with our vision and light them on fire. And just well, light them on fire makes it sound, sounds like I want to destroy them. I mean, superpower them. That's what I mean. Um, and so it sounds like this donor advice fund has the ability to do that. So uh, because it can keep growing. Now, my question is, the donor advised fund, is it called that because the only people that can spend that are the custodian? What if I try to spend donor advised money on a new car for me? What happens? Yeah, so this is the interesting thing about how these suckers work. You're not the one that owns the account. You That's why they call it a donor advised fund, because what you get to do as the steward on the account is you can make a recommendation Hey, Fidelity Charitable, I recommend that you give a chunk of my donor advised fund that I established to this organization. Uh, Are they obligated to do it? The answer is no, they're not. If they ever said no to a valid charitable donation, they would probably lose all their customers in short order. Uh-huh. So I've never heard of a donor advised fund that to to a valid uh, recommendation has said no. Uh, so that's not really something we worry about. But in order for it to to be not in your hands, you've already gotten the tax benefit. Gotcha. It's not your money. So this I is see. this is different than if you had a family trust. And yeah. the reason that we even bring it up on this podcast is because what you just said that the Bill Gates Foundation, like private family foundations and really complex trust structures. These are things that families with hundreds of millions of dollars have been doing for a long time. But the barrier to entry is very high. Some of those those trusts costs a million dollars plus per year in legal fees just to keep them going. Um, There's a lower bar of like creating specific entities to perpetuate family wealth that maybe costs the low fee of a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, but this is something that you don't have to have a million dollars to stick into a fund. Uh, you could potentially start a donor advised fund for your family with $5,000. You could do it with right. $10 if you wanted to. The The one thing I will say that people should keep in mind is that these do have fees uh, attached to them. Um, and so um, it may not be the place you want to start growing wealth uh, if you're kind of thinking multi-generationally. That's where 
that's where it really makes sense to talk to a financial advisor or a tax planner and say, here's my vision. I want to start a generosity fund for our family. Is a donor advised fund the right vehicle for me to stick that money in right now? Should I open a donor advised fund and just use it like we talked about kind of as a clearinghouse to distribute the gifts, but maybe I keep the money over here? Um, And that's something that's going to be different for every family. It depends on your tax situation and, you know, a 1% annual fee on the account might absolutely be worth it to you depending on your situation or it might be wise to say, don't put the money in there and pay that fee because you can grow it faster outside and you're not really getting the same tax benefit that somebody maybe in a much higher tax bracket would get. Yeah, but when you're thinking donor, let me ask one more question. Do people, do anybody use donor advised funds? They put in X amount of dollars and every single year they empty it out. They use all the money they put into it. Sure. And honestly, until this year, that's how our family ran our donor advised fund. Uh I never let money sit in there for more than a day. Uh, Uh I would simply use it to transfer appreciated assets from my brokerage account to my donor advised fund and then immediately make a stock grant, make a grant request from the donor advised fund to fund a charitable organization. Gotcha. Uh It's helpful to know that you are technically you're technically giving the money to the, the, uh, investment funds, charitable, whoever that runs that fund, you're actually giving it to them. And then it's helpful to know you are advising them. I think we ought to give this to the United way or salvation army or whatever. Um, but it's not your money anymore. That's helpful to know. That's right. All right. Is that your last tip? Yeah. So that's the last kind of tax tip I have on giving. There's, I mean, it's, it's rather remarkable that we live in a country as many jacked up issues as we have these days. We live (laughs) in a country that has said, we're going to reward you for generosity. And I think we don't take it for granted as like, this is going to be the case forever. And we won't be people who say, well, if they ever stopped giving me a tax break, I'd have to stop giving. No. True. However, as long as it's here, what a blessing, right? Yeah. It's it's the it's one of those vestiges of the godly heritage of this Judeo-Christian country that was established. And so there's 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 things like the protection for churches, like the way a lot of schools and universities were established. Um, like your Princeton University, which has certainly changed over the years, but it was a very, very godly disciple-making place in its inception. And we see that those vestiges even in our tax code. And so we should, yeah, we should take advantage of them while they're there. Well, I'm reminded, I said this uh, in the first episode, but I'm reminded of Proverbs 21, 26, which says, some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And so as people who love to give, we simply want to do it smartly. And so I appreciate all of those uh, insights and instructions from you, Mark. Now let's move. Let's, let's change. Let's pivot. Shall we? Are we going to banter a little? Well, yeah, let's spend a little time, spend a little time bantering. Okay. I would like to throw a couple of things by you. I know you've got some things to throw by me. Okay. I'll start with saying, I just want to give the people an update because I'm so buoyed. I like to use that word. I'm buoyed by uh, this little piece of information. Remember Shane? Yeah, Pickleball Shane. Yeah, Pickleball Shane. He's, I he's half the man he used to be, I've heard. <laughs> yes. And in some ways, he's even more of the man he used to be. Well, listen to this, sports fans. Uh, Since we had our episode, I'll put a link to his episode right here if you're watching YouTube. But um, since we filmed the episode of Shane, he he continues to lose. So he has now passed me. He is lighter than me today. And he has lost 26 pounds since we filmed. And he has now lost 114 pounds. Incredible. Um, and he came to Cincinnati last weekend 
to to enter a pickleball tournament with me, the largest pickleball tournament that happens in Cincinnati. I don't mean to uh, cause you chagrin because I know that you don't. You're not, you know, I've, leaping I've in pickled, joy at the mention of pickleball tournaments. But I've pickled twice in the past month on my own volition. So. This is a real change. Something the Lord is up to something. My children Anyhow, enjoy it. So that's we great. Well, I want to tell you and the people that Shane and I came home with gold medals from the from the tournament. We we won it in our in our age division. And that was a way for me to give a Shane update and also squeeze in a little humble brag celebration. So there you go. It's okay. I think last time we did an episode, I somehow managed to talk about the farthest I'd ever hit a golf ball. So <laughs> that's true. Okay. What, what, what's up with you? Well, as soon as we finish this, this recording conversation, yeah. I'm on my way to a joint birthday celebration. Me and my brother-in-law have put together for eight of our buddies. We're going up to Eden which is about an hour from here where we have our vacation property that we yes. uh, discussed in a recent the much episode. discussed vacation property in Eden, Utah. That's right. And we also your bug out location. I have never played more than 18 holes of golf in a day. And we are going to play three rounds of golf in two days. Um, and I'm very excited about this tournament because <laughs> I have put together my friends razzed me as you can imagine to no end because the email of instructions for this golf weekend was about 16 pages long. Oh my. Um, And each round is a different set of goofy golf related. It's designed for guys are coming who have played golf once in their life and guys are coming (laughs) who have played on a professional tour. So we're going to masterminded these rules. Me, of course. Oh, you. Uh, okay. And are these three different courses? Two rounds on the same course, one round on another. But okay. um, it took a lot of work to come up with a system that would make it equally possible for anyone to win. I like and, it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm also excited about the the prizes. I have prizes for each place. Wow. And Why don't you so, give us give us some of your interesting uh, rules, how, how you could have a, a, a golf game where a bad golfer might win? Sure. Well, the first the first round is really there to establish the pecking order. Okay. So, to, pr- to produce a kind of a handicap system. Right. So I kind of know how good everyone is. And I have said, okay, if you're in this zone, you're playing straight up. If you're here, you get a few strokes. If you're down here, you get a whole lot of strokes. Awesome. And people will will play that round. And at the end, we'll not only have a score with all my handicap, but we'll also know what did they actually score. So somebody's going to have a 140 and somebody's going to have a 70. <laughs> and uh, it'll help us make sure that we're well ordered and from there on everything else that happens from there on happens in teams i like Um, it so you'll be playing you might be the best player but you're played up paired up with the worst player and one of the holes uh you have a team of four and the score you write on your card is the cumulative score of all four of you playing that hole so we're gonna have some 30s written down sure um other holes i've gone to the goodwill and i've purchased for like $20, $20, I purchased two bags of just old, junky clubs, and you've got to use these clubs. In the oh, hole. I love it. Um, there's there's a roulette wheel that you have to spin and say, I have to play the whole hole with whatever the club is that my, my oh, roulette wheel lands on. That is so fun. Um, so things like that that just sort of take out the pure skill element and turn it yes. into... Uh, there's there's bonuses available on any hole. Um, so if you get an ace, a hole in one, 30 points, which is probably enough to win the whole weekend. You know, if you get par or better without touching the fairway at any point, that's a, that's two points. Oh, that's fun. You can get a uh, Justin Thomas known for his outbursts of anger. And if there's swear words said at any point on the 
the course, that's a negative three points. Oh, I like it. Um, so there's there's uh, all sorts of bonuses like that that can that can happen and accumulate. And we've got a group text going, so you'll alert the crew uh, if you do score any of these bonuses. But uh, yeah, should be I like it. Should be fun. Okay. I, I just had a thought. There's no place for this. You know, I have financial thoughts um, and there's no place for this. It's certainly not an episode, but it's something I'd like to throw out. And I think if I can say it quickly, we can turn it into a short. Okay. Let's get ready and let's make a short. Okay. Are we going to leave this in the main episode so people can hear how the sausage is made? Yeah, we'll leave it in. Okay. All right. Mark, you might notice that I've got a new haircut. That's because I cut my own hair. Um, If you think I could never cut my own hair, I just want you to know that you could go buy a clipper for $70, a very nice one. You think, well, I would never spend $70. How much do you spend on a haircut? How much? Well, I'm embarrassed to say that the last haircut I got cost $48. There you go. You You spend $50 on a haircut. If you would cut your own hair twice, you would get over, well, I didn't do a very good job on that. Yeah, I get it. You didn't do a very good job. Guess what? You'll get better. This isn't brain surgery. I I used to own a hair salon. Stylists are not brain surgeons, okay? This isn't a hard thing to do. You can figure it out. I put pen to paper. Well, we recently did an episode with my mom. I put pen to paper. I think she saved us about $12,000, because she learned how to cut hair. Go buy a pair of clippers, practice on your kids. So what if you mess up a couple of times? It'll be all right. There you go. I have so many questions. Go ahead. I I think I can chop what I just said into one minute. So let's talk. How do you get to the back? How do you deal with this section? Who cares? (laughs) You just do this. Maybe this is where the mullet came from, is the man who's cutting his own hair. What's the mullet? Oh, it's like somebody who goes like, I can't deal with that. I don't know how to do that. So yeah, I can long just do in the back and I'm just going to get the sides. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's an interesting thought. I used to, for the first 10 years of my marriage, my wife was my barber and it was always a tense uh, time where there was at least one disagreement that was guaranteed to happen. Um, we came up with a system that eventually worked, but as soon as we had free cash flow, she said, I'm out on that. So <laughs> that's a consideration. The other thing I'll say is I endorse what you're saying. Um, and I also took this, the next logical step in my home, which was to, I spent Steven, I spent $270 on some very fancy clippers that, Whoa. that can handle golden doodle fur. Oh. And I thought, I don't want to spend a hundred dollars to groom a dog. Sure. So I'll do this one time forever. Yep. And that didn't go well. Um, I, I razor burned my sweet dog and there was veterinary bills involved. There was shame on all parts, including the dog. Oh my goodness. She was ashamed of herself for a good two months because of how she looked. Uh, my wife didn't take the dog out of in public for, for a long time. And so, um, once in a while, this strategy, it can backfire. And so before you go shaving your sons and thinking you're going <laughs> to do great, just, just be aware of the risks. That's all I'm saying. That's a, there's a, there's a lot of distance between, um, buy a pair of clippers and you know, you'll do okay. And what you termed shaving your sons, that, that well, that's a, there's a lot of distance there. See, I got cute with it. I thought this will be fun. I made a, I mean, it's a doodle. Like everybody has a doodle, right? So I thought let's let's play up the poodle a little. And I made a ball on the end of the tail, right? Um, and I shaved the rest of the tail real close. Turns out it looks fine when you're doing it, but then it kind of was too close and oozy and scabby, and it, I just felt terrible because I actually like this dog. Um, so. I don't recommend. Crazy. I don't recommend shaving your doodle unless you've you've invested. Shaving? In no, don't shave. You you Shearing. use clippers. They have a guard on them so that you don't like shave into the skin. That's not how clippers work. Yeah, I understand that, but I did take the guard off at various points to try and add some finesse to my 
to my styling. Okay, I'll make this addendum to my, uh, you know, dare for people to go buy a pair of clippers. Step one, do some reasonable, successful haircuts. Then step two would be do something crazy like putting a ball on the end of the tail. So I'll just throw that in in case people didn't (laughs) didn't think their way through that. Create some reasonable skill before you do something crazy. How about that? Well, if you got nothing out of nothing else out of this episode, at least we've saved you twelve thousand dollars over your lifetime by telling you to buy the hair clippers. I used to cut my friend's hair in college, and they were so very grateful. We were all poor. And I would say, it wasn't hard. Who will try it? And then a friend would go, I, I, I mean, I guess I'll try it. And I would put the clippers in his hand. He goes, I've never done this before. I'd say, try it on my head. What's the worst that could happen? We shave my head. I used to shave my head every few months anyways. What do I care? Give it a shot. It's going to be okay. Well, I don't know about this. What is the danger? These th- it has a guard on it. You're not going to injure me. You're not going to cut my neck. You know. Anyways, yeah, let's... Uh, I encourage that. I would like to throw next thing. I'd like to throw an idea beside you just to get your reaction. I met a guy this past week. They have a fund. I'm not going to name it, but in case that you, this upsets you, they have a fund, which is based on purchasing high end liquor and watching that, that alcohol gain value. And he's giving me quotes on what the last couple of years of returns have been for this fund. They've been outrageous. You have professional experience in the purchasing and distribution of alcoholic beverages. What do you think of this fund? What do you think of this idea? Well, the market for whiskey has been exploding because it takes 20 years in some cases to make a fine whiskey and when you factor in aging and they can't just turn up the the volume of available really high-end product like that yep. uh same deal with wine there's you're limited by production and harvest and aging etc so that market has been great uh if you invest and in, and have the patience to wait i i think that there is risk there right um the market for high-end whiskey was a lot lower 30 years ago than it is today. So there's some ebbs and flows to people's tastes and willingness to spend a bunch of money here. Yeah. Um, but like any scarce resource, I mean, we can talk if you need, we can bring up Beanie Babies if we need to. Uh, any scarce resource uh, can accumulate value over time if you're willing to, to be patient and you have a bit of a, a knowledge edge where you can effectively pick out the right asset and sit on it for long enough for it to appreciate in value. So I am not doubting at all that your friend is being successful in that space. Okay. What else have you got? I just want to throw that by you. I was at a conference a few weeks ago with a bunch of fathers who own businesses. Yes. We were sitting around and two things happened. One, it's probably the most fun I've had in a group of men in a long time because it started out just three of us sitting there. And I said, hey, guys, have you ever listened to Bill Simmons and his Half-Baked Ideas podcast? Um, With Kevin Wilds. Love it. It's probably my favorite thing that's ever happened in the space of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, Always looked forward to those. And I gave a few examples of great ideas I had heard on Simmons. And then one by one, other guys started sitting down until by the end of this conversation, we had a 20 dude circle of guys talking about half-baked ideas. Um, you thought there's heat behind this. There's excitement. And, and as people sat down, every time a new guy sat down, we'd have to kind of reshare. Well, this is what we mean when we say half-baked ideas. And I often used the Simmons examples because they're great. Um, but most of what we were doing is coming up with our own new ones. Yeah. Now, one of the guys is probably one of the funniest men I know. He, uh, his name is Brad Ellis and he runs the ghost runners podcast. And he was present for the second half of this conversation, but not the first half where I said, these were Simmons ideas. So last week on the ghost runners podcast, he was saying, well, my friend, Mark Parrott, he's got this Abraham's wallet podcast. And, uh, he, he had these amazing half-baked ideas. And then he proceeded to share a few of Bill's ideas. And I thought, 
This is not good. I think plagiarizing comedy is one of the the greatest sins you can do in that space. So yes, I don't know that there's been any blowback yet, but yes. I need to probably appear on Ghost Runners and clear my name uh, and just say it wasn't my intention to steal any jokes. But I think the only solution is that you appear on Bill Simmons' podcast and give a huge apology well, there. If he's listening, then I'm willing to to at least enter into discussion for that. Uh-huh. Um, I will say there were so many amazing ideas that. I don't know if this is appropriate, but someday it's my dream that there might be a half-baked Abrahamic Ideas podcast. Where I we love just, it. We can get a few of these fellas on. It might be six people on the podcast. We might have to use the little hand raise. Oh, tool. that would be so fun. But there was some... I, I mean, let me just give you a taste. This one came from... Uh, give us a taste. This one came from, I believe, Chad Masters. Uh, Chad and Tori have their own media empire and you can find them if you just look on youtube chad masters um he he said it's airbnb but instead of renting other people's spaces you rent their lives for a day so you want to be you want to be a fireman for a day we have that you you know this guy is renting out his life and you want to be maybe there's super premium experiences like do you want to be the drummer from metallica for today well, yeah, we can make that happen. I mean, it's it's four hundred thousand dollars, but we can make that happen. Um, you know, I think there's all sorts of. Maybe I would just slum it, and I'd be like, I'm, I've always been curious what it would be like to uh, collect the garbage today. You know, that might be right. interesting. I, I'd like to drive that big truck. Maybe I have many times wondered about that experience. Whatever it is, I'd be. I would use this tool. Like, do you want to do do? Uh, Could you be uh, in the army for a day? Yeah, I think you could. I mean, what what else could you do? There's all sorts of things. You could be a chef for a day. Yeah. I would um, like to be a college professor for a day just to see how that goes. Now, it would be a horrible experience for the students. That's why still- it's a Half-Baked Ideas podcast because there are some externalities here that if you happen to have a house fire on the day that Mark Parrott is captaining your local fire station, you have issues. Like, that's not a good day sure. to have a house fire. Um, if you're having a heart attack on the side of the road and I get called, I'm going to call 911, I guess. I don't know what to do. So, uh, there are, this, this is not the fully baked ideas. Yeah, it's not fully baked. That's okay. We, we can pretend that it'll all work out. It's fine. It's imaginary. Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge and his grace is... Where